0: Hello. I am Dr. Rosina Bakari, your favorite empowerment expert. We are here to deal with the month of May on the Healing Challenge 2022. I am here with my fabulous co-host, Dr. Stephanie Singleton, and we are excited to talk about this topic with you today. Tell them what that topic is today and say hi to the
1: people, Dr. Singleton. Oh yes, this is well. We always have a topic for you, but this is a topic topic. We really getting down to some stuff today, okay? Hi everyone, thank you for joining. Share, 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 share. Okay, um, get your pens and papers. You should know to have that already because today's topic is called "When Pain Is the Familiar." Okay. And usually I would start a question. Wait a minute. Let me say that again. Cause I I, I don't, the part, I don't want folks to miss that. Okay. This month we are working on when pain is the familiar. Okay. And usually I would start us off with a question, but we're not going to do that today. You know, we, we're going to do something a little different. Dr. McCarty, if, if, if you would please, if you could just read, May 2nd, in the healing journey, that, that gem that you give us for May 2nd.
0: All right, I will do that. Let's see, let's change that there. May 2nd, when there is enough distance between you and your pain, your peripheral vision becomes much bigger. You become acutely aware of how much pain the world produces. When you find your voice, you see the connection between oppression, silence, and pain. Despite your global resources, we are living in a world of unmet needs of human beings. Society has become its own autoimmune disease that cannot tell the difference between the good and bad cells fighting against itself. May you desire to fit in, may your desire to fit in transform into a desire to fix instead.
1: Ooh, thank you very much for that, Dr. Bakari. Um You said here when you find your voice, you see the connections between oppression, silence, and pain. Can you make those just... Get, articulate those um, connections for us, please. Here, yeah. So,
0: one of the things that we do tend to do with pain is silence it. And so, we'll get into that a little bit more today. But no one ever teaches us how to adequately address our pain. We have the we hear the forgive and forget, uh, we hear just put it in the past but we don't get a whole lot of practice or examples about what we should really do with our pain. And one of the reasons I believe we don't is because we as a society, as a world, we have become addicted to cycles of pain ourselves. And so instead of having people process their pain, deal with their pain, address their pain. We say statements like, pain makes you stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. you know. And research tells us quite the contrary. That is not true at all. You wanna find the pain, go to the prisons, go to the hospitals, go to the graveyards. People are not getting stronger. People are getting arrested. People are getting violent. People are getting dead because of unaddressed pain. So when we address our pain and we look at and we uncover our own pain, when we're really willing to uncover our own pain, we see a bigger picture of what's really happening in the world. When we stop making excuses for pain, we stop running away from pain. And then we see the bigger picture of what's happening and how pain gets perpetuated, not just in our own lives, but in the world as well.
1: Yes, thank you for that. Because, you know, yeah, you know, I was listening to a song the other day on the radio and it was like, what kills you doesn't make you stronger. You know? It makes for a good song, but a horrible life. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and my favorite one from back in the day, and of course, I'm, you know, being sarcastic here, is Well, if you just pray hard enough, you're not praying hard enough, you know, and that's not a slam against prayer, but you know, God is setting you up for your blessings, girl. Yes, indeed. mm, Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Because a lot of this pain, right, that we're talking about, right, that's that's like you said, when you look at the hospital, with some of these hospitals, when you look at the prison system, when you look at um, the, the violence and people dying by suicide and things like that. A lot of this type of pain is like it's traumatic, you know, And you know, and it's people running around living with PTSD and not even knowing that's what it is and how to handle it. So um, can you just, can you just give us an idea or really tell us what is trauma and PTSD? You know, and what are some of the effects, especially around PTSD, right? Because, and I feel both of these words are just thrown around. People say, oh, I'm traumatized. Not really knowing what that means um, mentally, emotionally, and physically, right? Because it also also stays in the body. But especially in terms of PTSD, because people think that's something only soldiers get. So um, could you break all of this down for us, please? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: So PTSD and trauma, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder sometimes, but a lot of times it's not a disorder. And so first let me start there where post-traumatic stress, blank, disease, disorder, dysfunction, dis-something. But what happens with PTSD, post-traumatic stress is that there is a response to something. It's not always a disorder. If you are in uh, combat, it's not a disorder. Like you need to be able to respond to something with the hyper alert, right? So if we look at PTSD as a hyper alert, it can be a function, not just a dysfunction or a disorder, right? So many adults who have grown up in, as a child, grown up in abusive environments, physical abuse, uh, severe neglect, um, sexual abuse, of course, uh, violence. So you may develop post-traumatic stress defenses in order to survive, but those defenses may be very relevant in your environment until they're not anymore, right? some people stay in those environments, for example, into their adult years. I know still some adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse who still, as an adult, spend time with their primary violators. Sometimes they have to live in a house with them. Maybe it was an older brother and they still may live in a house with them for a while, right? And so that PTSD that you say, that D could be for defense, disorder, distress, you know, a a number of things. So those that hyper alertness may not necessarily be a disorder, but it is a stress alert that's unhealthy. So the behavior, the response may not be a disorder, but your brain constantly having to be on alert does something physically to the body. And then it also can can create some negative effects in other areas of your life but you get to determine kind of, is that working for you or or is that not working for you? How can you change your environment and get out of that situation? So one, I wanna say, I don't like the word uh, disorder because a lot of times, sometimes what we call disorder is just a defense to continue survival in harmful environments. But so what it is, is is your brain basically being on hyper alert, and giving your body a response to be on alert. Now, in order to be on alert, certain things has to happen that go through your brain system. So if you're on alert, chances are it's going to interfere with how other systems operate. For example, a lot of people who have, who have experienced severe distress have gastrointestinal problems. Because you're not worrying about digesting food if you are in a combat Situation. Now, your brain does not know the difference between uh, uh, physical combat and emotional combat. Right? It's like this is an environment where you are unsafe and you must do something to protect yourself. Okay, shut down, shut down your your digestive system, shut down um, your feelings and desires, numb out because you may have to do something that you don't want to do. You may not even be able to remember what it is. Right. And so it's not good for our bodies, and it off because it's not good for our bodies, it often can create a body mind disconnect. And so there are on and on we can go about the harmful long term effects of post traumatic stress, anything, right? And so here's the thing it so there's a slim line. Sometimes we use post traumatic stress uh synonymous with trauma. It depends. I'm not gonna, it's not worth fighting over words uh, for us to understand these concepts. But trauma, people, people pick and choose what words work for them, right? Nowadays we call everything trauma. And sometimes people will say everybody has trauma. Well if everyone has trauma then it's not trauma. Right? I mean like everything can't be an emergency, right? I mean, you can't take everybody to the hospital and say everybody needs care now. Like, no, then why is this the emergency room, right? So trauma, trauma, trauma. And so it's it's on one hand, when people say that what they mean is that we've all been in situations that hurt us deeply. And we we were um, too vulnerable in those situations to take care of ourselves. To that degree, we could say, Yes, we all have trauma. Maybe it was something somebody said to you, did to you, but it did not grossly interfere with decision-making in the future forever. It was not so uh, grossly or so egregious that your brain made a shift in the world as to how you were going to then believe about yourself or the world right? So when we talk about trauma, trauma leaves a mark on our psyche that then says, we need to make a shift about how we see ourselves in the world or other people in the world. So that's what I would call trauma. So do everybody have trauma? Mm, Everybody has some scars that they could go back and address, but everybody doesn't necessarily have these major shifts that occur as a result of something that has uh, heavily impacted their lives. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the word trauma. So the word trauma was meant to be a distinction between what we can expect under normal circumstances versus some behaviors or experiences that we have that are out of our ordinary expectation of life, right? I said some people were traumatized after their breakup, right? So, but chances are... That's not supposed to, in ordinary circumstances, leave a long-term impact To to the degree that we have other traumas before that, it probably will. So that's the other issue to address. What people identify as trauma may not really be the trauma. It may be a trigger to previous traumas in their lives that they have not dealt with and may actually be in denial of. So that's the third point, that everybody who has trauma do not necessarily realize they have trauma. There are a lot of people who are still walking around in denial, don't want to face that they had trauma, right? If you worried about, um, because it become normalized, and that's why we're talking about here when pain is the familiar, if you worried about as an eight-year-old, whether or not your parents were going to feed you where you were going to get your meal at eight years old, you had to fend for yourself. That's trauma. And I mean, fend for yourself, go out, figure out how you and your baby sister is going to meet. That is so out of the ordinary that it then diverts your brain to develop different neural pathways for your survival. That's trauma. For you, you can't identify that as trauma. That's your normal. So you learn how to exist with those pathways as a normal way of being, because you never knew anything else, so you're not thinking about the fear. You don't have time. You're eight years old. You got to figure out, or you, you know, you pack that away, and then you say, "I'm stronger because I had to fend for myself since I was eight years old." And we wear that, we wear that badge of honor, and we don't identify it as trauma. We identify it as strength, resilience. No, that's trauma, and you deserve to heal.
1: Thank you, Uh, thank you. Um, One of the things you mentioned the word that we hear a lot as well in connection with trauma and PTSD and that's trigger. Can you just really briefly explain what a trigger is?
0: Yes, thank you for for catching that. So a trigger is something that causes a response in you because it triggers a memory in your uh, unconscious, usually it's an unconscious, sometimes it's conscious, conscious or unconscious memory of something. Now here's the tricky part and why we call it a trigger because it's unconscious, it's quick, and you may not recognize it at all. You may not recognize a trigger and you may not recognize what you're doing even as a response. So if I uh, am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, which I am, right? But hypothetically, if I wasn't, and I am, and I use this as an example, right? Like my friend, like uh, if <laughs> if I were if I were a, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and this is a common one, and I'm in a a a. a a conversation, maybe it's a business party, we're all supposed to be networking, everything's going fine, I'm in my fancy suit, I have the lines all down, I'm gonna impress people. And someone says, hi, I want you to meet Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so has the same name as your violator. All of a sudden, all your preparedness turns into a stoic face because you now have to go through a 20 iterations in your head to remind yourself, this isn't this, blah, 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 blah. And you do all this subconsciously without anyone really noticing, but you notice, and maybe, maybe this person notices because there's an energy directed at them that you become more distant than you were a few minutes ago. But maybe you don't notice right? Maybe you don't even realize why you're sad because in the atmosphere, you're like just trying to keep it together and go on and go on. But for the next three days, suddenly you're sad. You don't really feel like getting out of bed. Uh, maybe you don't want to talk to someone. You may not even recognize that you were hit by a trigger because when you heard the person's name in this state, then it all of a sudden triggers some memories that may not have even come to your conscious, but it triggers some memories and put you in a state that you didn't expect to be in. So that's what a trigger is. So it, it, it causes a physiological or psychological response in you based on a previous experience.
1: Yes, thank yeah, definitely thank you for that. Because again, these words get used and I'm not always sure that we totally understand what is meant.
0: People, places, and things. Triggers are so tricky because people think that when you have a trigger, you're in a PTSD, a post-traumatic stress event, right? And now you're like in a day, like the TV stuff, like, oh, I'm stuck. Like, no, triggers are a lot of times very subtle. People don't realize, they don't even see their shift. They don't realize that the tone that they use is because they've been triggered by an event. They're not always those, again, traumatic or PTSD events, but they may be those scarring events, right? If you say something in exact same tone in which my mama used to say to me, I might respond in a way that I could never respond to my mama. Now you become the substitute for my mama. Because I never could tell my mama, I don't like you cursing me out because I don't think a mother is supposed to do that. But I can't say that because I'm eight years old. So now I'm going to take it out on you because you just triggered Mm -hmm. something in me, right? And so triggers can be really subtle, but to the degree that we never address the harms, the familiar pain to the degree that we normalize pain, we are way more vulnerable to triggers to the degree that we do not dress pain. We are more
1: vulnerable to triggers. Mm. Mm. And that reminds me of uh, of, of something we touched on last month uh, about normalizing things and Mm -hmm. how, yeah, how we do normalize pain. We expect it. And then we wear it as a badge of honor. And then if we show any type of, so-called weakness or vulnerability, or um, the desire to seek help, uh, especially mental health services, then we be then it gets looked down on. You know when we're really trying to take care of ourselves. So yeah, that all is just amazing how all of this really fits together in terms mm-hmm. of how much. And I don't know, maybe this is not the right word, but how much dysfunction (laughs) gets normalized in the name of being a strong person. Right. And let's define that
0: word because that also gets thrown around dysfunction, right? So when we talk about something being dysfunctional, the question is, how is this working for you? So when we, dysfunction shows up in a lot of ways Dysfunction shows up as high conflict in relationship, but if you have normalized that, if you are familiar with pain, then you think high conflict relationship is normal. You think it's normal to have intimate couples cursing each other out when you get angry. That's normal. You don't consider that high conflict. You consider that Well, we just get on each other's nerves, but we love each other, right? That's what we mean when we say dysfunctional, because you don't, you may not even realize there's a peaceful, uh, kinder, gentler, more authentic way to be with one another. Because what I can assure you is that when you are yelling, screaming, cursing at each other in order to be in a relationship, I can assure you, you are not. Your most beautiful authentic self. And so when things take us away from our most beautiful, authentic self in ways that create conflict, that create um, more pain, where we cannot predict how to take care of ourselves, then that's what we are considering dysfunction. Right? You can't be you can't be on time anywhere. So you're always written up at work or in trouble or trying to explain to somebody how you're too valuable, even though you can't show up to to practice or to work,
1: that sort of stuff. So um yeah. Yeah, this, you know, this really hits. Home for me i'm not gonna stay out there too long because you know we have we have so much uh we want to cover with this you know but it took me a long time to even realize that i was dealing with trauma and ptsd and it wasn't because i wasn't going to a whole lot of therapy i want to tell you (laughs) i want to tell you that it wasn't that and i mean i have been in therapy for years sometimes i I would walk out of therapy and i would feel worse i didn't realize i was triggered that um, the person really did was not trained in trauma and i think this is an important thing to really to, to really tell our people out here listening to us is that every therapist is not trained in trauma i mean and I, who I, Who knew i did not know that at the time that i was seeking the services if somebody said hey you know i have experience you know with people who've been sexually abused and i automatically thought they knew what the heck they were doing right mm. it wasn't until much later on that i realized these people didn't have that other trauma part because that's not necessarily something that's given to people in school. It's like doctors, they're not really, they're not trained in nutrition. You know, you have to go to a nutritionist. And the same thing with trauma and PTSD. You have to go to somebody who has then taken the extra coursework, the extra pre-service, all of that on their own to really understand what trauma is. I was just doing so many things that didn't even know I I was being triggered. I mean... I had to control every aspect of my life. I mean, every freaking aspect. And if I couldn't predict what was going to happen, then I would just freak out. I remember uh, when I was living in Indiana and I would have to go to the gas station. When I first moved there, there was a gas station right on the side of town. And I would always go to that one and I knew what to expect. Then I moved on the other side of town where it was six other gas stations with car washes, right? That I would pass those, right? To get to the one where I could predict and feel safe because I knew what was going, and didn't know where that was coming from, you know, in the beginning. And having a job uh, where, You never knew what was gonna happen because there was such disorganization. You didn't know, and why I would always just be flipping out was because I needed to know, right? Because I think Albi was known at this point. I'm a um, survivor, of sexual child abuse, right? Of child sexual abuse. I'm always getting my words mixed up here, but anyway, um, the whole point is is that I didn't know these were behaviors were coming from that. I had no idea I was triggered. And the people I was going to at the time didn't know, didn't really know. And it was years. I mean years. Cause I had been seeking services since I was like what, maybe, maybe 18 or 19. I ain't gonna tell y'all how old I am now. But it wasn't until literally I was in my 40s before I found the first right uh therapist who was trained in trauma and said, oh. Well, you're traumatized. You have PTSD now. Like, what? What? What is that? Because I was one of the people like I ain't been in the war. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if This is just something for people to just kind of chew on here. Um, you gotta get if you if you've experienced some serious trauma, if you're going through PTSD, you can't just go to anybody with a shingle out saying that that it's not. That's also turned a lot of people off, right? Mm -hmm. From seeking mental health services because they did go to somebody and every time they would leave that office, they would feel worse. And then they feel that, hey, there's nothing. I'm just gonna have to go through life like that. You know? So then, yeah, then you have no other choice to get through your day to say, well, you know, hey, it ain't kill me. It's gonna make me stronger. I mean, anyway. All right, I'm sorry. Let's not- <laughs> oh, go ahead. But I just want to um, go back to May second. Uh, what you read because you say in here um, when there is enough distance between you and your pain, your peripheral vision becomes much bigger. So how do you? How do we put distance between our uh, between us and our how do we do that?
0: So some people will not like this response. Uh, and just because I give this response, I want to be clear. This is not a recommendation for people to go out and do tomorrow because that will be dangerous. So one of the things, one of the easiest way to put distance between yourself and your pain is to live openly. And so we have people who are traumatized. Again, we talk about uh, survivors of childhood sexual abuse. You and and I both fall into that category. I know that 50% of survivors of childhood sexual abuse never tell anyone. Another um, 40% keep it a secret. And there are a few, even even with the hashtag MeToo movement, most survivors still live in secret. Now, I'm going to tell you the secret, the difference between um, um, a secret and living openly, telling a secret and living openly. Even those survivors who go to therapy, their therapists become their secret keeper, right? So there are a few therapists, and I know because I ran one of the first organizations or the first organization that supported survivors and living openly, because I know that that's an important part in getting distance from your pain. And so it doesn't matter if you are talking about being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, if you're talking about being a survivor of physical abuse. And so a lot of times people who have had um, uh, caregivers who are physically abusive, like we we really, really put that off as culture. No, my mama just, no, that was physical abuse. Now, I'm not talking about a spank on a butt or, you know, whatever, uh, even using a strap uh, because that was acceptable and we can survive that. It's not, please don't spank your kids. I will say that again, but I'm talking about there are times, here's what, what physical abuse is because a lot of people have experienced that versus corporal punishment, which again, I do not condone corporal punishment. I will say it over and over and over, do not put your hands on your child other than to love them appropriately. But at least when people didn't understand how bad corporal punishment was for the children, corporal punishment was a way to direct discipline on a person. So in order to, be, uh, in order to receive corporal punishment, you had to have done something wrong. You had to know what that wrong was, and then the, the punishment had to fit the action, the wrongdoing, right? So you don't get you don't get you don't get uh, spanked for uh, forgetting to take a napkin off the table, right? You got spanked for, you were fighting at school, you spoke inappropriately to authority, you didn't come home after school like you were supposed to. You knew the rule and you broke the rule. That's what you got corporal punishment for. The difference is with, with abuse is that you get hit, spanked, kicked, right? Because a, a caregiver And it could also be an older sibling as well, that that happens sometimes. You get um, physically abused because someone is in a bad mood, because someone needs to express power or decide that, because someone wants to show you that they're bigger than you, stronger than you, more powerful than you, because someone wants to put you in your place, because being a child is not a small enough place. Right, and so you don't you don't feel that the um, the physical altercation you don't feel like you don't feel like it's justified. You don't feel like you deserve to be treated that way. When people got corporal punishment, we may not have agreed that that would that that's what it was, but we understood why we got it. Does that make sense? Like, okay, I don't like I don't think I deserve to be beat. I think you should talk to me and put me in a corner, but I get that this is my punishment for not coming home when I said I was gonna come home, right? On the other hand, if, if I just, if I live in fear because the punishment that you're gonna give me is inconsistent, unreliable, and unpredictable, and is always physical, then that's then that's then that's physical abuse. That's not just corporal punishment. That's physical abuse, right? When your punishments are not predictable, consistent, etc. So when we live, when we um, live with abuse, I forgot what I was saying before that. Uh, help get me back on track. When we when we live with with those levels of abuse and they become normalized, living openly, when we can live openly about them, as a way to allow the shame to fade away, dissipate. Because we have nothing to hide and something was done to us, it allows us to get distance from the pain. We can see the bigger picture, the problems that other people have, the world has, the community has, and it's not, oh, this isn't me. The truth is, this could have been anybody. I just happened to be the stand-in for this person who chose to abuse me, right, It's not, you get to see, oh, it's not about me. Here's the big, the other big reason why living openly creates space between you and your pain. As long as I'm living only in my head with the shame or the guilt about what someone has done to me, I never get anyone to challenge those thoughts in my head because I never speak about it. So no one ever says to me, you know, that wasn't your fault, right? you know you shouldn't have been treated like that, right? You know that was overkill and that person should have gotten in trouble, right? No one ever gets to confirm that to you because you never speak about it. You never hear how this experience has been for anyone because you shy away from anything that triggers you about it. You stay so distant from it. So it's just you and those voices in your head that keep reminding you, maybe you did something to deserve this, right? And so when we allow ourselves to live openly, that's one way to get distant from our pain. Uh, another way to get distance from our pain is to, and when I say live openly, I don't mean, I don't. I don't mean, I don't mean wear a flag, get a pin. I mean, stop the secret keeping, because when we're not living openly, I can remember, I can tell you, I won't, but I can tell you at least five things I did on a regular basis. I hadn't, you talk about what the things you did that I had no idea I was doing to avoid conversations about intimacy, conversations about family, conversations about uh, who the first boy was that I kissed, like anything. Re- Remotely related to that, I made sure I left the room. I made sure I diverted the conversation. I made sure I had my lie ready because there was no way I was going to tell the truth about how horribly I came into understanding my own sexuality. That was not going to happen, right? So I was very intentional in my secret keeping, even though I was not necessarily conscious about it, I was intentional about it. So when I say letting go of the secret, I don't mean, uh, very few people will will hear me uh, talk about any details about that. So I don't mean, oh, go wear a flag, do this. But what what I won't ever again do is deny the fact that this has been my experience. So when I'm in a room and someone's talking, I go, oh, that doesn't sound at all like what my experience has been or what I know that experience to be as a survivor. I will never run from those conversations again when people say stupid things like, well, don't some survivors like it? No, I will never run from those conversations. I will stand strong strong in any conversation related to that. And at the same time, hold my space to know that I get to hold on to my dignity still as an incest survivor, that I don't owe people information. So I'm not holding out the flag, but at the same time, when in context, I also don't need to hold on to secrets. Cause as we say, it ain't my secret to keep, right? So living openly is why I said all that say living openly and then finding out information beyond your circumstance. That's another way to get distance. Find if you are a survivor of physical abuse, pick up a book on physical abuse and what happens to people who have been physically abused as a child or as an adult. The correlation between childhood abuse and domestic violence, strong, strong correlation. But you may not know that because you're keeping that secret so no information gets in, right? So the same thing, now I'm an adult, I'm in a physically violent relationship but I can't tell anybody about that Because I never told anybody about this, right? And so I can't get any distance from my pain because there's too much shame there. There's too much secrecy there. So when we let go of those things, we start to breathe a little because we find a little safe space.
1: Yeah, Thank. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So much of that resonates. Uh, this resonates with me. I remember in, um, early on thinking that I was the experience, like I was the personification of all of that horror and you you know like i i was there was no separation between me and that experience you know and when i could finally say okay i experienced that it wasn't something that i deserved you know it wasn't something that i did it wasn't something that i brought on myself you know all of those type of things it was like i experienced this this is on this person right this is not right my thing it 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 did give me a lot of breathing room, and to know that some of the things that I was doing was in response to that. What even though I was an adult, it was a, it, it was in, still in response to that because I have been holding on to that, you mm-hmm. know. For because for when home.
0: when for pain home. is the familiar, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Will you no, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna explain, right? When pain is the familiar, we don't know how to create something different. It's it's difficult for us to choose to create something unfamiliar, right? Our brain knows what to do with hyper alert. Our brain knows what to do with conflict. Our brain knows what to do with these familiar experiences. So we oftentimes are more comfortable and I don't mean comfortable and happy. I mean, comfortable as in, I know how to predict this. I know how to address this. So that is more convenient for me than learning this new behavior over here that I haven't seen anyone do. I haven't talked to anyone about. And so our brain often just keeps keeps on reaching for what is familiar, even though it is not in our best interest that's what we call dysfunction
1: yeah so i i just want to go on because we've kind of running out of time here yes. i just want to go on to um something that you say on may 3rd right and it's about expressing vulnerability as strength right and so to a lot of people that sounds like especially people who are survivors of abuse um that sounds kind of intuitive right to express vulnerability because one of the ways that we we do try to survive is to just to be strong to to not show any any vulnerability whatsoever so please you know talk about that talk about that a little more how how do how is vulnerability um strength
0: so what you run from has already won I'll start there. What you run from has already won until you stop running, right? And so when we talk about leaning into vulnerability, we're really saying stop running from yourself, right? Your beautiful, authentic self has more to offer this world than any assets you could ever achieve. Learning to trust your beautiful, authentic self in order order to do that You have to lean into the vulnerability because that is what will lead you to love. Because when you love yourself and honor yourself, all the other stuff in life just comes easier. It comes easier. So when you have been in an experience of trauma and you've had to separate, especially the mind-body, right? I just have to learn to do. I have to learn to achieve. Then we start to... You know, like I was saying before, like it's almost this autoimmune psychological disease that we have, where we fight against ourselves, right? And so, if especially where physical abuse has taken place and sexual abuse has taken place and other things with the body, and we develop that separation, now we're trying to move our body, move our minds, and through the world in separation from our bodies for example and so when we do that we we are sort of running from our vulnerability like sometimes people have the the impression that your body betrayed you. If you were just, if your your body felt pain when the, you were getting whipped, right? So I gotta be strong. I gotta strengthen my body not to feel that. Or I gotta separate from that. Or with the abuse somehow like this, this separation that occurs, you're leaving behind whatever parts of you were vulnerable in that. So when, as long as we are running from any parts of ourselves, we cannot grow into our most beautiful, authentic self. So leaning into the vulnerability means how can I go back and pick up what I was trying to separate from and instead lean into the beauty of the healing journey, the healing process, so that child or that uh, experience of victimization, whoever we were in that moment we get to go back and heal that moment for ourselves, not as a separate mind because we're trying to deny what happened, but in our beautiful understanding mind that I did survive. And because I survived, I can go back and pick up the strength. So here's a weird thing. We won't spend more uh, too much time on this today because we'll revisit this conversation but one of the things that happens is that whoever got the beating survived. The person who ran is not the survivor. The person who got the beating survived. And so then when we get, when we find whatever tools we find to hide ourselves or distract ourselves, that person in denial, if you are in denial, like you're not then you're detached. You detach from the person who got the beating, but it's the person who got the beating or the abuse that is the actual survivor, right? This person here is just the personification, <laughs> the witness that's running away, but that person, so when we can get that witness, you know, to go back and make amends and say, yes, I can take you along with all the pain, all the all the um, s- stripes of trauma that you carry. I can carry that with me without having to deny that as part of my experience. When I carry, that's why there's vulnerability and the strength, or there's the strength. Sorry, the strength and the vulnerability, because when I bring along the person who actually survived it. Now, now I can find my strength. There's no strength in denial, right? Because that's how our patterns persist. When we're trying, when we only move forward in denial, our patterns persist because we haven't solved the problem, so to speak. We've dis- we've dis- we've um, separated from ourselves, which is different than solving what's happening within ourselves. But when we allow that to heal and we can only heal by leaning into vulnerability, if you come out, I'm the strong, I'm the champ, then you don't need to be in no gym. You're not, you don't need anything. In order to get what you need, what you truly need, you have to lean in to the vulnerability. And when you lean into the vulnerability and trust yourself, that, that, is what makes you stronger. The pain does not make you stronger. It's the vulnerability that you have, the option to go back and live through. That's where your strength lies, not in the pain itself. Pain ain't making you stronger. Pain makes you a survivor. It doesn't necessarily make you stronger. Well,
1: this this is a lot. Of good information for people to really sit with and really contemplate seriously, you know, because um, so much if not all of this is, is about introspection, you know, and really yeah. you know, and really, really just sitting and being really gentle and giving ourselves a lot of grace and honesty, you know, we're going and um, revisiting and bringing the witness with the with the person who went through and survived the witness and the survivor together so thank you so much for this dr bakari this has been powerful 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 thank you everyone for joining us don't forget to check out the website www.healingchallenge2022.com get on dr bakari's mailing list as well at rosinabakari.com Please do that and continue to share, share, share the replays, everything. So, Dr. Bakari, do you have any last words you want to leave us with?
0: That's a lot. Process. Watch this again and again and again.
1: Yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. We will see you next month.